0: To The Art of Work, a podcast looking at how we find fulfilment as we pay the bills. I'm Christina Patterson, I'm a writer, broadcaster, and coach, and today I'm thrilled to welcome Chris Barris Brown, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Upping Your Elvis, a business that aims to help people find more energy and fun at work. Which of course makes him the perfect guest for this podcast. Chris has worked with companies ranging from Coca-Cola to Citibank and Nike. His books include How to Have Kick-Ass Ideas, Shine, How to Survive and Thrive at Work and Free, Love Your Work, Love Your Life. His new book is called Upping Your Elvis and we've got two copies to give away. You can find out how at the end of our conversation. In this podcast he talks about how we can find more joy at work and what to do if you hate your job. Great. Right. Well, uh, welcome to The Art of Work, Chris. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. So who's Elvis around here and what does the question mean?
1: Well, uh, yeah, so my, my business is called Upping Your Elvis and that was inspired by Bono. So when he was doing his Drop the Debt campaign, he used to go into organisations and want to work out who to play with really quickly. So he used to ask what I still think is a fantastic question. He used to ask, so who? so who's Elvis around here? Now, when you ask that question, anyone can answer it, because what you're really asking is who here's a bit of a brand, a bit of a maverick, they get stuff done, they, they break the rules, they've got loads of energy about them, and they love their lives. And I fundamentally believe that business needs more Elvis now than ever. I also know we have a lot more Elvis that we can bring. So you know, that's what we do um, you know, as an organisation. We help organisations you know, bring out the energy in their people so that every day counts.
0: Very concise answer, given that that's your entire business and career for the last <laughs> decade or so. And on I have the, a longer the,
1: version as well, Christina, but yeah, I thought no. I'd just be pithy.
0: <laughs> Very good to be pithy. Um, Bono, at one point, when I worked at The Independent for 10 years, and... Right. He came in and guest edited a paper. I have to say, he's a, he's a better musician than he is editor because it was really boring. It was all about AIDS. But I remember him strutting around like a god, and there was this buzz in the building because, you know, Bono's yeah. here, Bono's here, all very exciting.
1: Proper um, rock and roll, isn't it? Proc- proper rock and roll. Proper
0: rock and roll, exactly. So, your new book called Upping Your Elvis is partly, partly a summary of insights from your previous books. What made you decide to write it now?
1: So um, my previous books have always been a bit of a whim, to be honest. You know, I've got a bit excited about something and go, oh, I'm going to write about that. That could be useful. And um, and I've never actually written about what we do as an organisation. So this time, what I want to do is really summarise our approaches and what we do with clients that we find impact. And, um, and we've we done that for many years. And as part of that, we, we did a ton of energy experiments because our belief is that when you get your energy right, life is easy and fun. And when you don't, it's quite the opposite. So we've had some of the world's experts in different aspects of energy give us a challenge for a month at a time where we've, we've engaged in them to see what works for us. And and we've been doing that for a few years and we just got to the stage now where we had a really nice picture of what we think makes us tick and indeed our clients. So we just thought it was a nice time to summarize that in a book and get it out there.
0: Very good. And um, obviously you are, you, all your books have this incredibly positive message and uh, huge optimism and um, you talk a great deal about the importance of positive energy. And then a pandemic hit and yeah. it hit the world. And it also hit, I imagine, your business because your business is very, very centered around speaking, engaging with real people in real rooms, doing real stuff together, having fun and laughing. So how did that affect your optimism
1: and positivity it's a really good question i mean you know i think everyone's been hit very hard i mean as you say we are an events business at the time we had the biggest series of events we've ever had booked starting in march it was back in in 2020 so it literally um the pandemic swept that away and we lost tons of money uh Mm -hmm. we were sitting around going well what do we do now you know who are we how do we add value where's our impact um and um it you know, for anybody who has that situation, you know, it makes you do a double take, right? So we did that as everyone else did. Fortunately, being the people we are, you know, it actually gave us some chance to reflect, which is something we've never really had a chance to do. We've been flat out for years, we're always very busy. And actually the pandemic was an amazing gift. Now I say a gift to us, it it was a gift in reflection, obviously it's, it's impacted lots of people's lives very, very negatively. But in our particular case, having space was something it was a luxury we've never had. So it got us to rethink things. I wrote the book in the pandemic. Mm. Um, we've, we've created a digital series off the back of it. Um, we set up um, you know a new well-being tech startup in that time as well, which is a completely new business, which I wouldn't have had the chance to do unless the pandemic was there. So so actually we have come back way stronger than when we mm. went in. We're much clearer on who we are, what makes us tick. We've got a much better offering. And we're much more grateful for when we can see people, which is kind of nice.
0: Mm. Did it affect your worldview at all?
1: I, I don't think you can go through an experience like that without it being affected. So, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of recalibration that goes on in, in this sort of situation. I mean, number one, everybody that I talk to, um, they're much clearer about what what's important to them, right? Because when you take things away, when there is a vacuum, you suddenly go, oh, that's, that's important. I had no idea. You know, family and friends are way more important to me now. I think than when I started. I, I almost took them for granted. You know, because I'm very lucky to have lots of them. I think a lot of us do. they're, they're just always there. When they're not there, you suddenly go, "Jeez, I need to, I need to invest more time in the people mm-hmm. that I love." So that you know, that is, is something that became very, very apparent. So, so my, my my view of myself and what was important to me has changed. My view of society and humanity has shifted a fair bit too. You know, I think because because during lockdown, you start to see. Some interesting things happen when people are under pressure. They react in very different ways. Mm. You know, when you look at the news, it reacts in very different ways, um, and and therefore you can't help, I think, be, be impacted. Um, so yeah, there's definitely been some shifts.
0: Mm. And in terms of having recalibrated your business and produced a you know well-being startup and and so on. Does that mean that in the future, should the pandemic go away tomorrow, which unfortunately it's not going to, but should we be able to wave a magic wand and all be packed in halls with 10,000 people, would you go back to doing as much speaking as you did before?
1: No, definitely not. So I I think it would be a crying shame, wouldn't it, if if this planet, which has had its whole energetic reason for being agitated in such a profound way, if we just went back to where we were, it would be a crying shame. It would be such a waste of opportunity. When a when system's agitated like this and everything's in the air, we can make it fall where we want it to. It's a really rare opportunity. And um, and therefore, I'm absolutely not... I mean, you know, one of my most embarrassing revelations is the number of times I've flown to San Francisco to do half an hour's work is frightening. And it's just not okay. It's mm. not okay. And I'm not going to do that again. Mm. And um, And at the time, it was what everyone did. And therefore, I never challenged it. But mm. we don't need to do that now. We can... I speak from this room many times to thousands of people around the world. I can Mm. keep doing that. And we have to think about our planet in a different way. So absolutely not going back to the way I used to do things. Now, do I still want to get in a room with people? Yes, I do. But Mm. I'd like to do that in Lyme Regis where I live or somewhere locally (laughs) rather than spend my whole time on planes, not caring about the impact that I'm
0: having. Your stated mission is to bring creativity, energy and engagement to the business world. Obviously, hard to bring any of those things when people are in a state of anxiety and uncertainty Mm -hmm. what have you found to be most effective in helping and supporting people during this time
1: uh the hippie in me is coming out here christina a bit of love i've got to be honest
0: Uh, i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more
1: and everyone is crying out for it because we feel isolated we feel alone we feel um incredibly anxious because we don't know who we are how we add value what the future looks like and actually if there's ever a time for a bit more love in the world Mm -hmm. it is now and um and I mean that with family and friends I mean that in business massively we we spend a hell of a lot of time with organizations I just ran a three-day workshop for one of the biggest companies in the world senior senior leaders and I spent a hell of a lot of time getting them together just saying hey this is what I love about you by the way I really Mm -hmm. appreciate it and the difference it makes on people's whole energetic demeanor is massive because we need it and 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 we need it for our own self-confidence and our self-esteem we need it because you know ultimately we're not designed for business you know we're designed to be hunter-gatherers our design is well well um honed to do that we we spent two million years as it as a hunter-gatherer was until twelve thousand years ago we were all hunter-gatherers um business is a very recent construct and you know, we, we, we spend all our time trying to make ourselves fit business and I think we need to make business fit us better. Um, and, and one of the things that we know about our design is that we need to belong. You know, as as hunter gatherers, we lived in tribes because it gave us more chance to survive. You know, we've we got support and protection and now our tribe is our business. And if we don't feel like we belong there, we don't have meaningful relationships and great relational energy. It, it is a massive void, a huge vacuum in our lives. And therefore, one way to fill that gap is to get more love happening. And it is bizarre how that's not on people's agendas, because for yeah. me, that's what every day should be about.
0: It's so interesting. I've recently trained as a coach and uh, ah. the training was all online. But what was really extraordinary was how how close the bonds we forged were. It was over five months. And even though we only met recently, not all of us, actually, it was we you know, we really felt very close to each other. And one of the things that, that sort of built that sense was we had to do an exercise where we had to tell a story from childhood and everybody had to respond by saying positive things that revealed about you and your worldview. I mean, at that point, we barely knew each other and it was just one story. And being bombarded by all this positive energy and love, it was really very moving, actually. Some people were moved to tears. It was extraordinary. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, it touches us in a profound and deep way and we, we don't get a lot of it and therefore we often react quite strongly when it happens, which is great. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of emotion. Another thing we don't have enough of, you know, in business, you know, emotion fuels brilliant work and it helps mm-hmm. us, you know, make every day a bit more technicolor and we should embrace that. So what a great thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. in lockdown to, to qualify as a coach. But also one of the learnings that you got from there is that you can do incredibly profound work remotely absolutely we don't need to be in a room together now i like to be in a room because there is something a little bit magical about it and i will always want to do a bit of that but let's not make that as an excuse you know because actually i've done some of the best work in my life remotely in the last 18 months and i will continue Mm. to do so because actually there are some advantages from actually working in a digital world so uh, so you know I, i like a little bit of both obviously because it's the mix that makes life fun and what about
0: laughter at work i i about 10 years ago I did a uh, quite a lot a big campaign in the independent about nursing I'd had some unfortunately very bad experiences of nursing and I did a big sort of investigative campaign I worked on it for about a year and um ended up writing a, a lot and doing stuff on radio and TV about it and at one point I wrote a column about there was talk about sort of you know demoralization in the NHS and things like that people doing jobs badly and and um and I said essentially that you know if you want to do a job well, you need to enjoy it and you need to have fun at work. And then to my absolute surprise stroke horror, the chief executive of Surrey County Council got in touch and said, oh, could you give a talk to our uh, senior managers about how to have fun at work? And I thought, oh, I've absolutely no idea how to tell senior managers at Surrey County Council how to have fun at work. And it all turned, you know, I said, sort of oh my God, it's going to turn into David Brent, you know, kind of strutting around. So it's very, very, it's very hard uh, to, because it's so people's sense of humor. And energy is also different. What do you find to be most effective at kind of helping people have a nice time at work?
1: <laughs> well, I, I just think that is absolutely brilliant because I love the idea that you can give a talk and then people will have fun. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just such an alien concept, isn't it? So, so, you know, a, a huge amount of what we do is, is helping people have fun, and there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, first, being a, a third of our days on this planet are work days. If you're not enjoying it, it's a terrible waste of life, right? So you you have to do that. Second thing is, when you are having fun, you access different brain states, and therefore you will have better ideas and you will learn better. So it's important to have fun. The other thing is, when you're having fun, you are way more attractive, so you will bring more people to Mm -hmm. play, and more talent around you means more chance for success and extraordinary life. So fun is absolutely implicit in the work that we do, and it's vital to a good organization. I think. Um, You know, years ago people would poo-poo it and say it was flippant and fluffy and it doesn't do anything. But everyone now I think has changed massively. So so the, the good news is I think people are more receptive to that. The way that we do it really simply is we role model it. We live it, we have a laugh. Mm. And you know what? It's infectious. It's super, mm. it's very hard for, for somebody to re- resist people enjoying themselves because actually we all want to do it. Deep down, doesn't matter who you are, what work you do, what company you're in. We want to have fun because you know it's part of our nature. So, you know, create the conditions for it, make sure that you make it safe, you make sure that you set it up well, so that people know they're not being judged for it, and then roll model it and run around in it and, and be yourself and get things wrong. You know, I mean, I'm mm. such a fan of mucking up, um, you know, in full visibility of everyone else, because it sets up a very clear subconscious message, which is, you don't have to be perfect here, be yourself, and we will love you for it. And, um, and therefore, you know, let's get a bit messy. And when you're messy, you have more fun, don't you?
0: Yes, but probably not if you're a brain surgeon. So, you know, watch our... <laughs> there are times, watch.
1: there are times for it. But, you know, a brain surgeon, you know, while they're doing surgery, yes, they need to be focused and they need to be in a very prime state to do that. But, they, you know, outside of that surgery, they're still part of a team. They still yeah. need to connect with people. They, they need to be able to connect with the patients. And you know what? If they're not having fun there and they're not bringing humanity and they are not doing their job. So it's all about appropriate delivery, isn't it? You know, there, yeah. there are times for fun. Um, and it, but it's a lot more than most people think, truth be told. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it, it's it, funny it, because
0: know. in fact, do- do- doctors uh, traditionally have had a, a very strong sense of kind of black humour. And um, yeah. I think the novelist, uh, Mik Bulgakov, who wrote The Master and Margarita, he was also a doctor. And I remember he wrote, I can't what it was, but a, a sort of mem- memoir. Which was so dark, and there was a version of mm-hmm. it on, um, I think, Sky Arts, and it, I mean, it was just kind of unbelievably dark. But I, it's a coping mechanism, and it just, as you yeah. say, it makes life more enjoyable.
1: It is, and if that, you know, if that spawns a book as good as Master Margarita, well done. I love exactly,
0: that exactly. <laughs> um but what i did realize when i because I, before i became a journalist i ran an arts organisation called the poetry society and we i didn't know anything about management but every the tiniest kind of funding proposal that came in positive i would send out the bottles you know nip out get bottles of carver and kettle chips and we'd all sit around and have a drink and and we'd have margaritas on the roof terrace and read poems and on a friday we'd all there was a poetry cafe in, in the on the ground floor. We'd always go down to what we called the 5.45 and have drinks and, and chat. And But what I realised when I was trying to do this talk for the senior managers of the Surrey County Council was that an awful lot of it rolled around alcohol, which, mm. of course, can be a great bonding mechanism. But I note that in your latest book, having spoken relatively warmly of alcohol in earlier books, you're, you're quite anti now. Is this the nutritionist? And what's your attitude towards alcohol now? <laughs>
1: Well, it's a really good spot. So look, um, I, I, I lived in the world of alcohol for a long time. My first job was in a brewery uh, and I was in the yes. army before that, which is a pretty drinky um, kind of culture. So I uh, lived that a lot. I was then a consultant who flew around the world, you know, in very nice planes, you know, with bars in them. I mean, it was ridiculous. And we were out all the time. And, and there's a time for that. And I think, I think it's, um, you know, there are some advantages to being able to relax and connect with people in that way. However, I think it's a rather insidious drug, and I don't think we challenge it enough. And if you really want to be crisp, and if you really want to be on top form, just don't drink, because it will diminish your energy over time. Um, and uh, and therefore, I come out quite strongly on it because I know a lot of people who never really challenge that habit. It just grows and grows mm. and grows. And before you know it, you know they can't actually have a celebration, they can't go for a meal, they can't relax after work unless they've got alcohol. And I just think that's not right.
0: Very interesting. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with you because I'm not going to change. I mean, you know, we, we all have to make our own decisions about these things. I think the other sure. thing that features here is about what gives you joy, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and for me, delicious wine gives me great joy. So I'm not going to, I'm not personally going to give it up, but I absolutely take your point about how it and, can. And,
1: and me too, Christina, tea. by the way, I have a cellar full of delicious wine and I do drink mm. it, just not every day. <laughs> That's mm. the thing right,
0: mean. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> When you feel anxious or fed up, which of the strategies you discuss in your book, in the latest book or in any of your books, because they obviously overlap a lot, work best for you?
1: Ah, great question. So, so um, I, I take enormous pleasure and energy from um, my dogs and walking out in nature because mm. it's just brilliant for me. I, I, I do a lot of cold water swimming. I find that is mm. a fantastic for me. Uh, we did the Wim Hof experiment some time ago, um, mm-hmm. but but for me, if I've got something, you know, there's lots of things that you can do that are quick shifts. Movement is important, breathing is important, all of those are great. And, and then there's quite a few things that are foundational, like just getting good sleep and eating well. Mm-hmm. Those are all really important. Um, but the one for me that has the most profound impact on helping me shift negative energy is talk it out, which is which is actually our our new um, tech startup. Um, and, and, and it was born out of an approach that I, um, I developed for creativity. Um, and it helps you access your subconscious so that you can process uh, more creatively by making more interesting connections. But by doing so, um, you actually start to understand what you're saying to yourself, right? Because actually what you think is what you feel, but yeah. 95% of our processing is subconscious. So most people have no idea why they're having a good day versus a bad, truth be told. Mm. So, so if you're feeling a bit glum, a bit blue, a bit stuck, um, download the app, Talking Out app, um, you, you can find it, it's free. And basically what you do is you go for a walk and you talk into the app about whatever is bothering you. And after a while, as you walk and talk, you run out of a conscious story. Um, the, the thing you tell your friend if they asked you about what was going on. And you just keep talking and other stuff just bubbles up mysteriously from your subconscious. And every now and again you'll say something that you just go, Oh, now I understand why I feel the way I do. I've just uncovered what was going on in my head. And in doing so, you release yourself from it, you get choice, you get awareness. Mm. Um, and I find it is the most profound way of shifting negative energy for me because it gives me understanding. And, and we've just tested it with the National Health Service, um, Unilever mm. ran the research, and we found if you just do it for 10 minutes a day for 10 days, um, anxiety goes down 37%, um, life satisfaction is up 38 wow. productivity goes up 39%. And the group of people that went through it, they were all classed um, but on a particular well-being scale as possible depressives, okay? which it sounds exciting, doesn't it? What a nice place to be. And after 10 days of doing this, they'd moved to average to high well-being, just wow. from 10 minutes a day for 10 days, which is incredible. So I personally think it's, 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 it's one of the best ways that we can learn to look after ourselves. And I, you, know, you, talk, you were just talking about health professionals. I know I, I feel very sorry for them because there is no way they can deal with the problems we've got on this planet right no, now, especially a, around mental okay. health and it's getting worse and worse yeah. and unless we learn to look after ourselves mm-hmm. that's just going to get even more exaggerated you know and we therefore you know we put toolkit out there we, our mission is to get it to everyone on this planet for free so that we can hopefully you know get ourselves and our heads straight without having to lean more on the services
0: very very interesting of course i completely agree with you on the healthcare front by the way and how the hell they have survived the last 18 19 months that's i extraordinary. have no yeah. idea yeah. and when i did speak do a lot of speaking about the whole healthcare thing absolutely it's about looking after people isn't it and so many people just didn't feel and don't feel valued in their work if you don't feel valued you're not going to be able to look after other people effectively but I was really fascinated by this app because it's very much it's like a kind of mini therapy or even mini coaching I mean it's such a small thing isn't it 10 minutes a day to have that impact and have it measured is really quite extraordinary Fantastic. It is.
1: It is. It, it's very easy. And, and what we did, we did is we got them to do five minutes in the morning to get clear on their day, because yes. actually we spend so much of our time on autopilot. You need to get focused on what your day is about before you yes. start. Otherwise, you just get carried away with busyness. Yes. And then when they finish work, five minutes just to say, well, how was my day? What, what worked and what didn't? So you reflect. And again, these are two conscious moments in the day where you can you can make sure that actually you're 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 properly reflecting and using your talents on the right stuff. And, and um, you know, I mean, I knew it would work. I had no idea how well. I've got to be honest, I'm so pleased with, with the way it's working. And interestingly, you talk about, you know, it's like a, a therapist in your pocket. Next week, Microsoft have basically adopted us. They said, we love this. Can we can we play? So they've got a hackathon next week and they're going to they're going to build us an AI version. So actually, as you talk at the moment, what happens is, as you talk, if you have an insight, you press a button and it captures what you say next in, in text. So you don't have to listen back to recording so it's a, it's a bit easier to work with the ai version hopefully will then not you won't have to press the button it will tell you what you should pay attention to because it will learn how you speak when you are having an insight and therefore you can literally just talk away and at the end it'll go hey here's a couple of judgments the, these are some things that you're attached to that's a bit negative this gives you energy <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing
0: well, kind of. I mean, it will certainly be amazing. I I, I hear that with a, a mix of kind of fascination and horror. I mean... Um, Where's the smart, horror, Christina? Tell me because, about that. Because, our, for that. example, our smart speaker in my partner's house um, has started uh, in a kind of... Well, I mean, this is an awful, macabre example. After my brother died, um, I was choosing uh, music for his funeral, which, of course, was terrible, and then sure. um, it started, you know, kind of randomly playing me playlists of requiems and so on, which was really oh, quite unwelcome. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, well, um, well, look, Christina, rest assured the data that goes on your phone on Talking Out stays on your phone and disappears after 30 days. It oh, goes okay. nowhere. There is no marketing, there is no okay. analysis from anybody else. It's purely yours. Because, it, and the reason being is that if you are going to talk about your life, you need to know you're safe. Right, yeah, because exactly. there's no way you will be honest if you think someone's listening in. You'll filter yourself, mm. and therefore the whole thing will not work. So it's designed to be totally safe and totally yours. Mm. You will never have anything like that happen. we're talking about because the whole ethos of it is about helping you.
0: Well, that's very oh. interesting. And tell me, Chris, have you ever truly hated a job?
1: <laughs> have I truly hated it? Do you know what? Um, there are some jobs I've obviously found a lot more difficult than others, and less energetically aligned to who i am um i i do have a belief which is there's no such thing as a perfect job you know oh, it, 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 nearly, yeah. it, it they don't exist i mean mm-hmm. i know people that own breweries and are fashion photographers and are, are airline pilots and there's always a downside with every job the question yeah. is how much downside versus good exactly and you know i've had some that are a bit a bit more down than others you know i i've spent you know a year of my life selling beer to working men's clubs in the evenings you know, full of cigarette smoke and everyone drunk and really not being interested in me and what I had to offer. And that's a laborious job for me, that was. I mean, I learned a lot, actually. I learned a lot about people and how to get on. But, you know, it wasn't my energetic connect because that's not the environment I want to live in, right? Um, mm. so, so some are harder than others. Um, you know, there were times in the army I was going, why am I here, you know, at 16? This is ridiculous. But there was always some upsides. And I think, you know, our job is all about how do we, how do we, we craft our careers to fit us better? You know, and that's that's what I'm into. And I've, as time's gone on, I've got much clearer about what that crafting looks like. What do I need to get my energy right so I can do great work? And what am I good at? Because I think when we're young, we spend a lot of time trying to do everything, and we realize actually, as time goes on, we're not good at everything. I'm rubbish at most things, Christina. I've got to be honest, yeah. But I'm brilliant at a couple. I just make sure I spend most of my time doing those things, and then life's a lot easier. See,
0: it's very interesting because you're you you talk a lot about essentially the kind of building a portfolio life and, and the world you largely operate in is business i think and my sense is that in the business world there is slightly more flexibility as long as you hit the bottom line or grow the bottom line then there is a, an increasing sense that how you do that matters less but i don't think that's the case in the same way in vast areas of for example the public sector what advice do you what approach do you take I don't I know you don't well I don't know if you do work in those areas at all though you just mentioned the NHS app so clearly you know there is yeah presumably do some work in those areas how do you approach because it's a very different mindset often managerial mindset how do you encourage people to cope with that because if for example I know masses of people who are kind of not masses but quite a few people who are academics or doctors or teachers, they, they really have very little choice about how they do their work. They fundamentally like their work. They hate the bollocks that surround it. Now, obviously, <laughs> most jobs have bollocks. You know, that's the deal. You know, I'm a yeah. freelance and I've got, I can spend all day every day replying to emails and that's bollocky because I hate admin. Yeah. <laughs> I hate email. I hate all of that stuff. Um, yeah. And sometimes I don't do any writing and that's what I really like. So it's, um, yeah. So how do you, how do we tackle that? How do you tackle that?
1: Yeah, look, so, I mean, I think there's a certain philosophy behind it that, um, that I like, which is it's all down to you and your choice, right? There's a mm. million ways to make money. If you've chosen that job, it's your choice. Yes. And therefore, you know, don't, don't then moan about it and be a victim because, yeah. you know, otherwise you shouldn't be there. Yeah. If, if you have decided to be there, then make it work for you. Mm. And, and, and ultimately, we do have, um, it doesn't matter what job you do, there's, there's an element of autonomy you know, in any job. And it might just be the way you smile, the way you show up, the way you interact with others, but you can do it your way. And I'd focus on those bits and grow them over time. Yeah. And, and, and in any environment, um, you know, whether it's, it's government or whether it's, you know, business, you know, we have to push a little bit to get the space we need to live the life the way that we want to and use our energy in the right way. Because no, nobody can do that for you. You have to do it yourself. Mm. And therefore, it's all about education of the team around you. And, and, and you know, I think we're, we're really moving from the old mindset where, you know, people who have jobs are assets and we need to sweat those assets to get maximum output. And that was the philosophy for many, many years. And I think now our leaders are saying, Do you know, what? my job is to create the conditions for them to be amazing. Yeah. And each person should be amazing in their own way because they're different. And therefore, you know, let them have that freedom and I'll get much better output. And obviously, some places are slower at adopting that than others. But they're all getting there. There's there's no client that I'm working with now who says everyone has to be the same. You know, th- these 360 annual appraisals are starting to diminish because they've realised that you know making people fit boxes is not the way to get brilliant results from them. And and you know I think it's uh, not a day too soon.
0: Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on the life's too short front. And in fact, when I did do the nursing stuff, I I I think I I did a little film for the one show, and I think at the end of it I said something like. If you can't, if you can't do it, do something else. You know, because yeah. you, you, the last thing you should be doing is looking after other people if you hate your job, because your your sort of yeah. bitterness of it will shine through. But I also intensely, where it's very, very hard work to look on after other people. But I do it think is. a lot of people do moan about their jobs, and you do want to shake them and say, look, you know, life is short. Wake up. You know, sort it out. But it's easy for people to feel trapped. How do you kind of shake up their mindset if people really, you know, for example, university sector at the moment is really, according to many people, really awful. They kind of turned themselves into big but extremely ineffective businesses and they've lost all their clients and they're kind of punishing the staff by sacking them and things like that. It's really quite unpleasant. Um, But people don't necessarily want to go and retrain uh, because, you know, they've spent years becoming an academic and they like the teaching, but they don't like the rest of it. I mean, how would, you, how would you sort of suggest that people cope with that situation or is it pretty much what you said before about focusing on stuff you like?
1: Well, so look, we have an inbuilt fear of change. You know, let's go back to the hunter-gatherer thing. Um, if, if, I'm, um, if I'm out on the savannah and I see a bush rustling, I don't go over to it and go, oh, I wonder if it's, um, you know, if it's Christina coming back with some berries from a forage, you know? I'll get my spear and go, ah, it's going to eat me, right? And we've got an inbuilt negativity bias in our head for anything new and different. We do. That's, that's the way we survive. And you can't just overcome that. That's a part of our design. So what you need to do is just understand that every time you think about changing your job or your career or, you know, going for something new, your, your head's going to go, don't do it. It's going to mm. eat you. That's, that's, that's the reality, right? Now, what I do know through years of experience of, of doing this with, with thousands of people is the fears are never the reality. You know, we, 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 we have this amazing dark picture in our heads about what's going to happen because um, we want to create a fight-flight-freeze response in, in danger and therefore we, we catastrophize things. We make things worse and darker and more dangerous than they actually are. And, and my belief is this. If, if you actually had some experiments out there of you trying new things out, then actually you'll find it's not that bad. Yeah. And, and, and for me, careers are, it's like shopping for clothes. You know, you look in a window, you go, oh, that's amazing. Then you feel the material, you go, oh, that's fantastic. You put it on and go, oh, that sucks. That looks awful on me. But you have to try a few things on, right? Mm-hmm. And you can only try it on by doing it. Mm-hmm. You can't career shop intellectually. It just doesn't work. Because there's a uniqueness about the place and the people you work with and the work that you do and the support you get. And therefore, you just got to try stuff out. So my advice to anyone who feels like they are not doing what they want to do, if they can't craft their job into one that they want and they can't, you know, work around the edges to make it fit them better, go and experiment, try some stuff on. Because you know what? Life flies by fast enough, and you don't want to waste your time. I mean, when I set up my first business, which was what, 12, 13 years ago, I, I, you know, I was really worried about how things would go as everyone is when they start off. Within a month, I was going, why didn't I do this years before? Mm. This is fantastic. The freedom, the autonomy... You know, yes, there's a risk because you don't know what you're making every month. But you know what? I much prefer that to be able to do exactly what I want to do. And, you know, you have to have that mindset and it's not for everyone. By the way, Christina, All right, it's not I'm not I'm not suggesting that everyone should rush off and start their own business or or, you know, gallivant around the world trying to learn who they are, because some people like security and Mm -hmm. they like stability and it's really important to their well-being. So it's not for everyone. But if you're one of those people who've got an itch like I do all the time, you've got to do something with it. Otherwise, it gnaws away. What's a fuck it fund? <laughs> one of the best bits of advice. I, so I, I joined the Bass Brewers graduate program um, a long, long time ago. And as with most graduate programs, they make you do all these trainings, most of which are useless. I can't remember any of it. The one thing that I was taught, which I have never forgotten, is the fuck it fund. And the idea here is basically save some money and, and put it away. Um, so that if there is a day that you say, this job is not me, I just it, it's, it's not who I am, it does not liberate my talents, it is against my values, you can leave yeah, because you have a fuck it fund. Now, interestingly, what you tend to find is when you have one is that you stay, but you stay for the right reasons. Yes. And the wrong reason to stay is money. Simple as that. So, so therefore, there's a liberation in having one regardless of how it's played. So I love having a fuck it fund and I advise everyone to get one.
0: You say in your book, Shine, that screw-ups create energy and energy can always create opportunities. Which screw-up of yours has led to the best outcome?
1: <laughs> my gosh, how many have I got? Um, so, well, interestingly, you know, I've, I, you know, the, the Talk It Out app, that's my third app. My first two have disappeared from history. They were rubbish. They created no value. I lost loads of money. But I learned a lot, right? I learned a lot from doing it. And it's not that I'm on an app crusade by any means, but these were just great things to experiment with and learn from. So, those those are classics. Um, you know, I've I've worked with leadership teams where I, you know, I've worked for months and months and months, and I can't get anything to change. And then, you know, after having so many uh, days of butting my head against the brick wall, I, I do one thing and it opens it all up. And I, have, I must have had twenty failures before I had one success there. But you know, they just feed each other. So, you know, I've got I've got loads of them.
0: And uh, have there been any really disastrous mistakes you've made at work that you haven't, you can't turn into a kind of, well, I mean, you could try to turn them into a funny story, but you felt really upset and ashamed about?
1: I've had somewhere I felt, you know, I'll give you a classic one. I was working for a massive pharmaceutical company over in America. And, um, and the client, just before I went on, I said, look, can I just be myself on this? You know, can I can I swear a bit and do all that? And they said, yeah, Chris, do whatever you want. You've got to, you've got to light their imagination. And I said, fuck once on stage, yeah? And a thousand people went, ooh, and it went quiet. And then mm-hmm. everyone laughed, and then people came up and hugged me after and said it was brilliant, and the HR director was waiting for me and basically <gasps> said, you can never work for us again, oh. Yeah. And I was basically wrongly briefed. And, um, and yeah. I was very happy not to use that word. It's not like I'm a potty mouth. Yeah. But, you know, there are moments like that where, you, you know, you think you've been given the right brief, you do <gasps> exactly what you think you should do, and then the, the rug is pulled out, out from underneath you. Actually, what was hilarious is I did work for them. Uh, but what would happen is I'd, I'd turn up in the car park, and, and actually my client once dressed me in a sombrero and a moustache. To, to disguise me as I walked in, which obviously drew a lot more attention to who I was. Um, so so the, the company didn't really listen to the HR director, but um, but it was a little bit embarrassing. And of course, word got back home and, you know, it was one of those. So that little flight home, I was in shame. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame, shame. But anyway, I giggle about it now.
0: <laughs> it's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling I once did. Um, I was asked to present a workshop for a sort of friend and oh my god! I'm normally I couldn't do it in my way. I was trying to do it in their way, and it was an oh, absolute never disaster. Works. I've never done that before, and it was an absolute disaster. And then at the, at the end of it, um, there were feedback forms, and I had to sit with the organising these feedback forms, which were kind of hugely negative. It was absolutely excruciating. <laughs> I just went home, kind of. Marinating in shame, it was just, well, really you know, it, but it's interesting when
1: you do that. So, I, I, I did a big um speech once for the Ritz Carlton, and it was all their GMs from all around the world. It was in San Francisco, uh, in those days when I used to fly everywhere. And they said, Look, you, we want you to do the keynote, but you have to wear a suit and tie. I'm going, I, I don't wear suit and ties, I mean, you know, I'm a big hippie, that's not what I do. So, well, our GMs all wear suit and ties, they're immaculate, it's all part of our brand, you have to do it. And I said, I stood on stage wearing this suit and tie, I don't know why I agreed. And it felt like an out-of-body experience. I was somebody else. It's the most awful gig I've ever done. They, they liked it, but I was like, that was not me. I just lost all my flair. So, you know, I have learnt, you know, be careful of those briefs where you try and have to bend to be somebody else because you'll always do a rubbish job comparison to being you, I think.
0: Yeah. Being you is a big theme of your work. And I think I've always pretty much been me in a work situation, but then, I mean, some of us are just really not very good at lying or pretending to be someone else, and I'm terrible at it. But some people quite like to have a kind of professional self that's, you know, doesn't reveal their full personality. What would you say to them? I mean, presumably it's okay for them to just be that version of themselves. And some people like to leave their private lives at home and all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, look, if people choose to do that, great. I I personally find it exhausting to try and pretend to be somebody else because your energies are not aligned. You know, you're, you're taking on this role, putting on a mask. So it's exhausting. Uh, I also think you're not particularly engaging with the people around you because the authenticity Mm. isn't there. And if I can't see who you are, how can I connect with you? So there are people that do that. I would strongly advise against it because, you know, you're going to die young and you're not going to have many friends. So, you know, be you is my advice. And, and, and there are places where people do take on personas and you, you see it all the time. And over time, they kind of become that persona. So we adapt yeah. our behavior so we belong. So always, always, doesn't matter who you are, you will be slightly different at work. Mm. The question is, do you change your behavior just enough to belong, but stay special and unique to who you are? Or do you lose that uniqueness? And a lot of my work is about making sure they refresh that uniqueness and reconnect with really what makes them shine brightly.
0: You talk a lot about the importance of the North Star. What is a North Star and how do we find it?
1: <laughs> yeah, so actually I haven't written about a North Star for a while. I, I, and I do talk more about meaning and purpose now, um, which is basically where we get our energy from in our lives and our work. Mm. And, um, and for me, this is a facet of, of, you know, the energy that we need to do amazing things. Because, you know, I, I think about energy as physical, mental, emotional and spiritual and a lot of our spiritual energy comes from this meaning and purpose. Um, and, and, you know, we, we all need to find some type of meaning in the work we do to do great stuff. We all need that because it fuels amazing work and it keeps us getting out of bed every day going, actually, my, my efforts today are worthwhile. Mm. And you know those days when, you know, you finish work and people say, how was today? And you go, I've got no idea. I mean, you're flat. You, you don't feel as if you've had that boost. When you come home and say, I've achieved something that is really important to me, it's a completely different world, you know. You've got a big smile on your face, and you are reset for the next day, and and we need that. We just need it. And 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 I think ten years ago, no one was spending any time thinking about it, and now it's all people are thinking about, which is which is fantastic. Mm. I mean, Unilever have trained forty thousand people in connecting up their personal purpose to the, the purpose of the company. I, I've done the same thing with GSK Consumer Health recently, and 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 when people do that, a light goes on that's very different. You know, because they realize that actually, yes, they benefit the business, but in doing so, they are living the life they want to live.
0: And is there any part of you that feels, as a journalist might, slightly cynical about co- the corporate world aligning people's personal purpose with their Yeah, look, Yeah, it all
1: world. comes down to, to the way it's executed. But yes, mm. I mean, you could easily be cynical about it, couldn't you? Because, oh, here's another way we can make more money. You know, ultimately, mm. it could be where you're going. But actually, I, you know, places like Unilever um, specifically, which are all about sustainability and making this world spin better, are definitely not doing it for that reason, you know, because because actually part of this model is helping their employees live better lives, mm-hmm. you know, which we have to do. We're not going to get great talent unless people show up for the right reasons, you know, because it's, it's a very short transactional relationship, if it's that case. So, so it all comes down to the way it's executed. What I'm seeing these days is it being executed way better than it used to be. And it's actually... Um, it's, it's it's authentic and it's real. And there's a proper, you know, transparent conversation going on saying, look, we've got something big we're going for. We want you to connect to that in a way that you feel you're getting something big too. I think that's a good a good chat. But the, the other thing that, you know, that I, I do have a slight nuance on here is I'm not into this life purpose thing. I mean, I, I, I yeah. love the idea that we're put on this planet for one reason, one reason alone, and our job is to find it and then we'll be fulfilled. I just... It, I think it's a bit of a fantasy and and those people that do well done yippee, you know, but, mm. but for most of us, you know, we evolve massively through our lives and therefore so does our purpose and meaning. So I'm, I'm a bit more about kind of, you know, how can I have something today that exactly. helps me connect and gives me meaning. And if I get that, I am delighted.
0: I'm, I'm glad you say that because I think um, it has to be about those of us who are lucky enough to do work we enjoy or to find pleasure in the work we do Um I mean, you can't, if you start ascribing that to some great sort of metaphysical purpose, then it does, you you turn into Donald Trump, don't you?
1: I think it's tough. I think it's tough. And it it massively impacts your identity, you know, because then you you say, well, this is who I am and this is what I must do and I can't do anything else. And then they could be having a really miserable life doing that and they won't challenge it because they say, no, but that's my calling. And I I just think that's wrong. I think that's Mm -hmm. wrong. You know, we we need to be able to be a lot more fluid about who we are and how we show up because... This world's changed massively in the last two years, and so have we. So let's not be concrete about it. Let's, let's roll with that and see what we've learned.
0: So can you learn to love a job if you hate it?
1: Mm. So I think, I think with these, these types of challenges, um, the thing about love and hate is, is, is usually about perspective. All right. So we, we, we can see things very negatively, And I know a lot of people who do this, and they basically their life is just a big black shadow every day of their life because they can only find what's wrong. Mm. And then there are other people in exactly the same situation who think they're the luckiest people on the planet. Now, it's not the reality. It's the perspective that counts. So if you hate your job, you have perceived it in a way that's giving you that emotional output. Now, some people are flexible enough to change their perspective. Yeah, And actually, the luckiest people on this planet can do that. I'm very lucky. I can shift my perspective very easily and i i tend to have a pretty happy amygdala right so i tend to find the good in things anyway so my advice is always can you live with it and find the good before you throw it in because the grass is always greener there's always an amazing imagination of what the world is like outside of you but the reality is there will be more hardship and more difficulty wherever you go next yes. all right so learning to deal with it today is the skill i think we all need on this planet so so shifting perspective is important. I think the other one is this crafting idea, which is, okay, what can you do with the job that you've got to make it fit you better? Because we've all got opportunity to play around the edges and make it fit us more. Um, and 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 there's there's a skill to that. Um, but I know some people who do it brilliantly. You know, they, I literally look at their life and go, oh my, look, that fits you so well. There is nothing out of place here. And therefore, every day is, you know, is a bit of a party for them. And I think, you know, then you get into the, you know, if you can't do that, you can't shift perspective. You can't craft it. Then I think you look for something else. But don't give up too soon, because you know wherever you go, they say there you are. And often it's not the job that's the problem.
0: Yeah, and um, I suppose you could argue that there is also the potential to kind of brainwash yourself to accept the unacceptable. Um, yeah. You have to how watch that. how how beyond a kind of gut instinct, how can we distinguish between those?
1: Yeah, between the two. So so I just get very clear on what your values are. What are the things mm. that are important to you that actually are non-negotiables? Mm. And how are they showing up? And and if you get clear on what those are for you and that that business and that job, you know, if they cannot deliver them for you on a daily basis, it's wrong and you're not going to change that. Um, so, So that's what I go down to. And I think that's a foundational way of making a decision about how you use your time and talents.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the things you say in, in Shine is only use your energy on things you believe in. Obviously, we all have to do some stuff at work we don't particularly like. Yeah. What are your top tips for managing? If you can't craft them out of your job description, what are your top tips for managing the stuff you don't like? For example, yeah, how so should works. I, how should I deal with my admin and all that boring stuff, which I'm,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we've all got it, haven't we? We've all got it and um, we don't like it. So number one, I shift most of mine off. So, I, I, you mm. know, that's the way I manage mine. There are some I still have to do. I minimize it as best as I can. I put it into a time of day that is best for admin, i.e. Mm. not when I'm at my peak. Mm. Okay, so. We've only got, you know, between 19 and 120 minutes of deep focus a day. Most people I know waste it on emails and other people's meetings and stuff yeah. that they that, that distract them. So hold that stuff for what counts. And when you're feeling weak, knock out a bit of admin. You know, that's that's the way I tend to do things. Mm. Um, and you know, put some music on, make a bit of a game, try and create a bit of an atmosphere around it where it doesn't feel like it's arduous, and it's fine. The great thing about admin is you don't have to think; it's just stuff you have to do.
0: Yeah. If you were to offer one tip for finding more joy at work, what would that be?
1: One tip for finding more joy at work. Well, so, you know, I, I think there's there's numerous ways to get joy. I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about aligning yourself with stuff you love and gives you energy, and I think that's important. The thing I've done really well in my life, and I am so grateful for it, I've surrounded myself with joyful people, right? Mm. So whoever you're with it dictate the way you show up because we yeah. morph into that energetic pattern. And I've, you know, I talked about having a happy amygdala. I have found people with that in all walks of my, my career and I brought them into my business. And you know what? Every one of them, when I phone them, I look forward to it. You know, I always come out with more energy than when I went in and there is something about that that just elevates the standard of everything we do. So, you know, surround yourself with you know other little love monkeys like yourself and guess what every day's a party
0: thank you mr love monkey Paris <laughs> <Brown>. <laughs> it's been really really good to talk to you thank you so much
1: it's been an absolute pleasure christina thank you
0: thanks so much for listening if you'd like a free copy of chris's new book drop me an email with your top tip for surviving a bad patch at work and i'll pick the two i like most My email address is me at christinapatterson.co.uk. And if you like this conversation, do subscribe to The Art of Work on Apple, Spotify or any of the main podcast directories and do share, rate it and or leave a review. For tips, wisdom and advice about The Art of Work, do follow at The Art of Work on Twitter and do join me next week.